This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you by the Pocket Testament League. Visit ptl.org for practical resources and encouragement to help you share your faith. ptl.org. No matter where you are listening in this country, you will be astounded at the things that God can get said in one hour. It's amazing. It's such a privilege for Martha and I to be behind these microphones here at I Work For Him. We're so grateful that you guys are tuning in from all over the country, but especially, Martha, in a couple of very special places. That's right, Jim. We have just recently um, been added to um, coastal Virginia, the Norfolk, Chesapeake area, and so we are so thrilled to have new listeners there. Thank you for listening. Let us know you're out there. Please give us a call. Um, on our email. I have no idea. Jim's giving me um, signals with his hands. I don't know what he's trying to tell me. But folks, we want to hear from you. We want to know that you're listening. Also in South Georgia, North Florida, thank you for tuning in today. And I just pray that um, we will have an opportunity to hear from you in one way or another. I have no idea. He's like um, Tampa the- Bay. We're so <laughs> grateful that you have launched us here in Tampa Bay we need almost to learn six language. years ago. That's what this was right that here. That was not sign language. <laughs> AM 57910 and FM 102.1 in, in Lakeland. You can catch this signal from Disney to South of Ocala to north of Fort Myers, all over Jacksonville, St. Augustine, Folkestone, Georgia, and of course, Coastal Virginia. We'd love to invite you to join with us online on Facebook, Instagram, I Work For Him, and on our website, IWork4Him.com. You know, we all know that Chicago is known for being the windy city. Today, it's known for being windy and wicked cold. Wait till you hear how cold it is there. That really had to do with a couple of things, not really the weather, by the way. The wind off Lake Michigan is pretty intense, but the ridiculous rhetoric that Chicago is known for is... Yeah, really related mostly to the uh, the name, the Windy City, the pontification from their politicians. <laughs> Speaking of a lot of wind, Martha and I had the opportunity to attend the 2018 Faith and Work Summit in Chicago this past fall. Many of you have heard those shows. You've enjoyed those shows. We had some phenomenal interviews while we were there. We heard tons of great speakers from all different walks of life. And in fact, what one we can't wait to bring back and really focus on, Helen Kim, right? Isn't is that what? Uh, she's got the... Children's material for faith and work. Is that what her name was? I yeah. might have that wrong. Okay. Yeah. Martha's giving me the look. Like, I have no idea what we'll you're talking about. We'll go with that. But today, we're going to talk with Greg Forster. He was in charge of the summit. He had the mantle placed on his shoulders to make a great event. And this next summit is coming up in 2020. He's going to be handing off the reins. But I wanted you guys to know that Martha and I go to lots and lots of summits. We go to lots and lots of events. We get put in the middle of exhibit halls all the time. This event in Chicago was moving. The Holy Spirit was mm. powerful. The con- the connections we made in the exhibit hall with not only attendees, but also other exhibitors was amazing. Really one of our favorites of last year. It was a really fast time. We were in and out of Chicago in three days. And our host family was amazing. I just put this Faith and Work Summit for 2020. Get it on your calendar now. Just put it on there. This sometime in 2020. There's going to be a summit in the fall. But let's get to our guest. Greg Forster, welcome back to I Work For Him. Thanks very much. And hello, Coastal Virginia. That's right. It's so exciting. Hopefully we can, who knows, maybe the school that you pass the mantle to will be in Virginia. You don't know. It could be, right? Could be. Okay. Greg, we've had you on the air before as we talked about this summit. Last year, we did several shows talking about it as we leading up to it. And literally, it was a great, great summit. Why did, let's just get personal for a second. 
Why did you agree to take on the leadership of the 2018 Faith and Work Summit? Well, I'm tempted to say because I didn't know any better, <laughs> but uh, actually it was a wonderful experience. I have been privileged to be part of the Faith at Work Summit uh, all the way back to the first summit in 2014, and I've been in a variety of roles. Uh, and uh, when the organizing committee asked me if I'd be interested in bringing the summit to Chicago through Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, uh, I was just very excited immediately by that, uh, by that prospect. Uh, it was a long road from that day to the day we actually had the summit, but uh, I think the summit is a fantastic gift to the movement, and I've thought that uh, since I first got involved. So the opportunity to serve the summit by bringing it uh, to Chicago and putting on the 2018 summit was just very exciting. But you made it sound like it wasn't just an easy job. You know, that it wasn't all just about the, the desserts after dinner. So what, <laughs> what were some of those? I mean, I, I, I know that later on I was going to ask some of these questions, but let's just talk about it. Because a lot of us volunteer for stuff, and a lot of us volunteer for stuff at churches and in conferences and in networking groups and things like that. And there's, you know, when there's people involved, sometimes there's some challenges. And a lot of times when we're doing events like this, we want people to attend. What were some of the challenges you had to face head on that stretched your faith and brought you closer to the Lord? Well, the summit had 434 people attend this uh, past meeting, and any event of that size will produce enormous challenges. Now, thankfully, we were blessed to have uh, a big team of people working with us, including a whole bunch of people from other partner organizations uh, on the steering committee and also the team at Trinity, including both our regular people and some part-time people we hired with the summit in view. So I had a lot of help. Uh, but any event for 434 people will produce an enormous set of challenges, including that uh, the dessert that you mentioned, somebody had to decide what we were going to have and how much of it was going to be and where it would be served. Those are uh, important and that's things. A, that's a bunch of headaches. Hmm? <laughs> I said, but those are important things. Yes, uh, they matter a great deal. In <laughs> fact, uh, one of the major contributions of the summit is giving people the opportunity to network, uh, make mm -hmm. connections and renew connections, uh, and creating the environment for that is an art. Uh, and, of course, we're always being asked, uh, do more of this, do more of that. But we really guard areas in the schedule that are unscheduled so that mm. people can have time to connect. Uh, but, you know, aside from the logistics, there were also the challenges of organizing uh, all of the breakout groups. And now I didn't organize them all myself, but I had to coordinate all the people who were uh, and the uh, the sessions on stage had to be planned, had to make sure uh, people knew what they were doing, uh, right down to making sure all the speakers actually were were there and ready to go uh, on the on the day of sure. the day and time of each session. So let's talk about the summit for a minute, um, because as we you know talking about logistics and things with any summit, um, what the the big thing behind it is what the intentions are for the takeaway. Why do a Faith at Work, at Work Summit? The three goals of the summit are always, uh, one, to inspire and encourage people, because it's tough to put your faith into your working life. Mm -hmm. And we want people to be reminded of why they got uh, into the movement. We want people to be given encouragement that can strengthen them uh, for all the hard times that people go through. So inspiring and encouraging people is uh, one of our key goals. A second goal is to equip people to take the next step. 
so that people aren't just putting their faith into their work, uh, whatever that has meant for you, doing it the same, doing the same thing over and over. Uh, we want to help people go deeper, go broader. We want to help people figure out what's the next thing they can be doing, uh, which means awareness of uh, trends emerging, new things that have to be considered, uh, means going deeper into Scripture and finding themes and, and uh, things in Scripture that we may not have noticed at first, uh, getting beyond those, you know, six Bible quotes that are familiar and that, that we've sure. uh, heard many times, and uh, discovering the, the riches of the theological knowledge uh, tradition, and then our third uh, goal, as I mentioned, is uh, connections, that people will uh, have the opportunity to build and strengthen relationships. Yeah. Uh, and the, the easy part is the relationships, because if you give people the right uh, setting for that, they, they do it on their own. Uh, the really tricky part is the equipping part, because taking the next step means so many different things for so many different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's really a, a, a tough balance between finding some themes that apply to everybody and putting that center stage, and then finding uh, breakout opportunities in small groups where people can go deep on the things that matter uh, particularly to them in their situation. Well, let me just jump uh, in and, and just say as we end this segment is that one of the things you did well is your intentionality to give people space to talk and get to know each other instead of having back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back <laughs> things. That was what made your event so powerful. You allowed the Holy Spirit to connect people and to develop relationships. They weren't just sitting around a table listening to somebody else talk. They were talking with people and connecting at a deep, deep level. It was powerful. So I know that I asked you this. Well, I told you ahead of time I was going to tell you, ask this question. We know that it's going to be in 2020. Do we know where it's going to be yet? Uh, we don't have an announcement to make about that yet. We are currently in dialogue with a, a couple of partners, and we are actively pursuing those possibilities. So we are not slothful. We are not idle uh, on the sidelines here, but uh, we're not yet ready to make a, an announcement. Uh, we take seriously the warning about counting the cost before you build the tower. So uh, if people want to be kept up to date as the announcement comes, mm-hmm. which we're uh, hoping to be able to do soon, uh, go to fwsummit.org, and you can sign up to receive email updates if you're, if you're not already on that list. That's fwsummit.org, and then you will know as soon as we do. That's excellent. Well, maybe so, right after you do. So, Jim, I just want to point out then that don't make any more comments about how much work it was for Greg because they're still <laughs> he might have a hard time passing it off, passing the baton to. So, um, but I, I want to just commend you because one of the things that you were talking about right before the break is the fact that it's a challenge to know how to equip the people that are going to come in attendance. And one of the things that really sets the Faith at Work Summit apart for Jim and I, as we've experienced it, is the fact that you bring in a very diverse crowd of people, both to be on stage and to attend. So talk about that, because you're bringing in from the education arena, seminary, um, church perspective, as well as people out in the um, you know secular workplace. So what is the goal in, in having the, so many diverse um, groups, people coming together? Well, that was one of the main goals of the summit founders when they created the summit uh, back in 2014, was that the faith and work movement can be somewhat siloed with people doing separate things in separate areas. And there was a real desire to increase collaboration, but 
there wasn't a platform that was a sort of neutral Switzerland, so to speak, where everybody could come together uh, and the movement could uh, could have that collaboration that was on nobody's turf, mm-hmm. so to speak. So the summit was created to provide that uh, forum for people to come together. The, the four major constituencies that the summit primarily serves, uh, one is movement organizations. So, uh, for example, your radio show would be a, a good example of a, a, an organization that's in the, in the movement. Uh, another is workplace networks. So these are people who are not uh, professional faith and work people. They are professional doctors, nurses, plumbers, ditch diggers, right. engineers, whatever, uh, but who have who have joined together with others in their sectors to uh, work together on how they put their faith into their work. Uh, a third is academics, uh, because uh, getting this into curricula is important so mm-hmm. that uh, new generations are, are being sent out into the workplace without having to, uh, you know, sort of backfill this as they discover that God cares about their work, but rather if we can help them know that from the beginning. And then uh, finally, pastors, because uh, local churches are so important to the way people are envisioned and equipped for living, uh, living out the kingdom of God in everything they do. So uh, it's been great the way uh, one of the things the summit has really helped to do is break down barriers between uh, uh, the local church and the movement organizations who have not collaborated so much in the past but are doing so much more now. And it's, it's incredibly heartening. And I would totally and wholeheartedly agree with that statement. And What's interesting is that I think for Jim and I, having experienced two of the summits, is that those things are being um, played out very well and nobody told us, you know, but we figured it out. We're like, wow, there are people here from these different sectors. They're all working together. And one of the things that we experienced in the exhibitors area is the camaraderie that happened between those exactly those people, organizations, networks academia and the pastors. And so um, if this is intriguing to our listeners, we want to make sure that they're going to FW Summit. Did you say .com? Org. .org. org. I wrote down .com, but even though I knew you said org. So fwsummit.org, and they can sign up to get notifications. And that way, you listeners, as things are revealed as to when it's going to be and where it's going to be, that you can try to make plans to attend because I think that people are going to be very much encouraged and inspired. Greg, let's get personal. Mm. How were you, let's just, besides the fact that you were, you know, had some stress, probably not a lot of sleep and you had a lot of responsibility. How were you personally impacted spiritually by the summit? Well, I think um, I, I, I did, was not overloaded with work per se, because we did have a lot of help, but mm-hmm. I think, the sense of responsibility for the success of something that was built up by so many people and uh, had been sort of passed on to us uh, and that we uh, need to pass on in good shape to uh, the next people who will run it. I mean, I'll still be involved in the summit, but the, the sense of stewardship over something that had been built up by so many others 
really did weigh on me. And there's a lot of uncertainty that you have to wait uh, for the Lord on, and particularly because this is not the only event that I run. I've learned this across a number of different events that I've run. Um, the advance time that people will sign up for an event, they actually go to the mm. website and register, is much shorter now than it used to <laughs> yes. be. Uh, people will wait, uh, especially the, the local people who do not need to buy a flight, they don't have to commit to whether they're going or not until, you know, the day of if, they, if they're uncertain. Uh, and so people will wait until right up till the week before to start uh, registering. Mm-hmm. And you just don't know how many people will be there. And, you know, gathering a large group is, of course, a, a critical goal for the summit. So we were really pleased when, in the end, it turned out that uh, we were the largest summit uh, in the history of the summit. Uh, but it, we were, you know, waiting and waiting to find out whether we were going to uh, have the the attendance that that we knew we would need for the summit to continue to be what it what it has been. So that might. Uh, so we were grateful in the end, but there was a lot of a lot of anxious waiting. That might have stretched your faith just a little bit. Yes. I, well, you know, I'm continuing to learn to rely on the Lord on that uh, uh, as I as I run events and continue to have this same uh, anxiety every time. Sure. We're talking with Greg Forster. He is he was the super duper chairman of the board for the faith for the Faith and Work Summit in 2018. There that was held in the Windy City of Chicago in October the 11th, 12th, and 13th. It was a phenomenal event. There's one coming up in this fall ish of 2020. Check it out online, fwsummit.org, fwsummit.org. Nope, the details aren't, aren't out there yet, but I want you, any of you listening to this show will benefit from being there. Wherever mm-hmm. there will be in 2020, you know, Martha and I will be there, and we're going to do what we did this last time. We're going to sit at a booth out in the middle of the exhibit area, and we are going to interview people from all walks of life and capture their stories because that, Greg Forrester, thank you so much for letting us do that because the sound wasn't a big deal, even though there were people milling around everywhere, we were able to (laughs) capture it. And the stories that we caught because we were sitting out there in the middle of everybody, it was amazing, the stuff that we were able to capture. Well, I'm so glad we were able to help you do that. It was so fun, and the stories that that we're that people are are still hearing because we've replayed a couple of the shows. All right, so did you get to listen to any of the speakers, or were you always busy behind the scenes? No, I was actually. Uh, I heard all the plenary speakers because I was running the time clock, <laughs> okay. uh, whose function was to uh, shame the speakers into concluding on time by having a big zero countdown to zero when their when their time was over and somebody had to run that clock so that was me so did who was the biggest violator let's throw him under the bus come on who, who, who <laughs> oh, went over I'm not going <laughs> to, oh come I'm, on greg's too nice i'm not going i'm not going to mention uh names <laughs> but uh we we actually had reasonably good timeliness from the speakers compared to uh, some of the other events that was I've it run. A, i think the summit has a collaboration ethos was it a business was it a business person or was it an educator that went over the longest uh, uh, <laughs> actually you know um the uh, the person who did not go over the longest but who went over the most times we had a i had a bet uh, with another member of the organizing committee, we had David Gill, who was the original uh, founding father of the summit. Uh, he got up and gave tributes, uh, and he's notorious for going along, but he swore mighty oaths to us that he would keep his time limits, and he really <laughs> intended to keep his time limits. So I, I bet a nickel 
with one of the other uh, with one of the other committee Ooh. members. I bet that he would stick to his time limits. He didn't he didn't hit it once, but he <laughs> came close. <laughs> he, he, he was you know he was less than a minute over most of the most of the time. So right, well, uh, well, I I actually I did pay the nickel. I would hope so. So one of the things, Greg, that I was really impressed and really made an impact on me was the fact that the very first night of this summit that we're talking about, which Jim and I attended in October of 2018, um, was that you very successfully um, had a lot of different representations from stage to the point that um, your MC, you know, one of your moderators of the event was a woman. Um, there was a lot of diversity. And the very first night, um, someone made a statement from the stage that, you know, it's been told to you that this movement has been too male, too pale, and too stale. And so I think you guys really took that to heart. Let's talk about that for a minute. What what was your intentions with trying to break that stereotype? Oh, we definitely had that as a goal uh, from early on. Uh, in fact, at the first summit, in 2014, we actually had a presentation on stage of uh, how we were doing uh, on on that and, and what our goals were uh, for for improving. Mm. Uh, for the 2018 summit, we actually had uh, two of the three summit founders and a couple of other members of the organizing committee uh, resign from the committee simply to make room for uh, a more uh, diverse and representative group wow. uh, on the organizing committee. So we. We took that to heart all the way to the top, uh, and then we were um, we were constantly watching as we designed the plenary sessions uh, to make sure that we were representative across a whole host of uh, factors. Because there's uh, obviously there's uh, male female, there's uh, ethnicity, there's also uh, theological diversity. So we want to make sure that we're representing. Uh, a wide swath of different Christian traditions. Mm. Uh, so there's a. It's hard to, you know, uh, uh, satisfy all those needs at once. But we were very pleased uh, by the testimonies we got from uh, participants uh, that it really did come across that we had um, that we had succeeded in that yes. department. I was very pleased by that. And you reached across the world. I remember I had a couple of conversations with a couple of ladies from South Korea, and uh, it was amazing. And just it, it was so much. One was from South Korea. One was from Hong Kong. It was it was fantastic. All right. So here here's the question: The Faith and Work Summit. It, 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 there was a lot of really powerful subjects. A lot of really powerful things that were taught. What were some of the what were what did you think were some of the most powerful subjects that were dealt with that just got right in people's face about connecting faith and work? What were some of the things that really stuck out in your mind? I think the two things that stick out, one is uh, we had a session on Friday morning on the new economy and how the shape of the economy is changing as uh, technology and globalization are remaking the terms of work. Uh, that there used to be this implicit bargain that if you showed up at your job and worked hard and followed the rules and did a good job, uh, that your job would be there. And uh, everybody knew that that was occasionally impossible, that sometimes there just wasn't anything anybody could do. But uh, on the whole, there, uh, there was this implicit bargain between the employer and the uh, employee that uh, if you showed up and worked hard, that the job would continue to be there. And that's just not sustainable anymore. And uh, we're only at the beginning of what is going to be a wide-ranging reorganization of the way work is structured. 
uh, as technology and globalization continue to rewrite the rules. We had several presenters, uh, including one from uh, Google's uh, AI uh, department, uh, who um, uh, uh, showed us some of the trends that were emerging and how this is much bigger than people generally appreciate it's going to be. Uh, and then I particularly appreciated Missy Wallace got up and showed us a survey of church leaders in which uh, roughly 80% admitted that this was a big deal, that the new economy was a big deal. Uh, roughly 80% uh, admitted that they didn't know anything about it, and roughly 80% said they had no plans to learn anything about it. <laughs> people came so out of time, that, I got to tell you, people came out of that AI session freaked out of their minds because they walked yeah, into well, the exhibit hall and they were like, oh, my word. Yeah. They, they were freaked well, out of their mind. It, it, it was a sobering moment, but also, you know, uh, it was it was followed later on Friday by a focus on worship, which really reoriented us to the fact that God is with us and is going to be with us. And Amen. Uh, none of the rewriting of the rules in the new economy is going to change that. And I think the church, the church will find a way through these uh, uh, difficult and, and chaotic times uh, if we pull together and, and, and work together and collaborate the way God has intended us to do. Uh, so that was, I think, a big wake-up call for the movement, but also a, a ultimately a heartening, uh, a heartening moment that people realized how much we need each other. Uh, and the other moment that I think was particularly powerful was the presentation on Saturday morning on the biblical image of the shepherd uh, oh, and yes. how much it means that the, the, the shepherd is a uh, sort of recurring image in Scripture from very uh, early on in the Old Testament all the way through and in the prophets and all that. Uh, and then, of course, Jesus, who appropriates this imagery of the shepherd and, and declares that he is the good shepherd. Uh, and all the way through uh, Revelation, there's all this imagery of um, the shepherd as the good worker and good leader, uh, and how on the one hand we're called to be good shepherds, but on the other hand, uh, we are, we have a shepherd, that we have a good shepherd. So uh, it's not just on us to be good shepherds, but actually our shepherd will, will, will watch over us and help us to become the good shepherds that we need to be. And particularly, um, the presenter emphasized uh, how shepherds, uh, all, a large part of their work is protecting their flock from predators. Uh, and I think that I heard a lot of sort of ooze in the audience when she made that uh, point, and as she developed it, I, I sensed that it was really hitting home. Uh, that people, uh, it, to be a good worker, you have to protect the people around you uh, from from harm, from predation, especially those who are under your care in some formal way. I think that really hit home, and a hope that I have is that the summit will help people to continue to dive deeper into the Bible and discover the depths yes. of it, because uh, there's no end to the depths of it. Most definitely. So I just want to remind our listeners that we're talking with Greg Forster, and he was the um, person in charge of helping to put together and host the Faith at Work Summit that we uh, attended in October of 2018 in Chicago. And there will be another one coming up in 2020, so we want people to stay tuned and listen for that. They can go to fwsummit.org and sign up for notifications to be aware of that. Um, Greg, one of the things that... um, I think that that really revealed this whole conversation about the shepherd and the other things that have been shared is that very fact of getting into the scripture and seeing how God has laid out so many things for us in that are applicable in our workplaces. And that whole concept of being a shepherd really empowers people to go back to work and say, you know what, I have people I care for and I need to protect them and 
nurture them and all of those things. And I think that's why it resonates so much. So those kind of topics, you walk away with something that you can take back into the workplace. You know, Greg, one of the things we are supposed to shepherd is our marriages and our children. As the summit got closer and closer, how how did you protect your marriage as you move closer and closer to the summit? Because sometimes it, things like this just kind of take over a life. Well, I, uh, uh, I was very fortunate in that uh, having so much help, uh, mm-hmm. I did not have that much of a change in my schedule. In the last uh, week or so before the summit, I ended up uh, having to run around doing, doing things, and my schedule was somewhat stretched. But uh, my wife and I have a fairly solid uh, routine where it's, it's normal for us to have a week here and a week there. Uh, where my bandwidth gets stretched. So I'm intentional about uh, prioritizing time at home the rest of the time. Uh, and so that's part of the give and take pattern of a, of a marriage that, uh, you know, one week you have to be, you have to be gone a lot. So another week you're there a lot and you carry more, uh, more of the load. And uh, I'm, I'm incredibly blessed to have a, a wife who is a real co-laborer with me in, in all the work that I do in that regard. Well, give her a shout out by name. <laughs> uh, Beth has been a uh, fantastic uh, co-laborer for me my Amen. whole career, and uh, I I couldn't be more blessed. I love that. I love it. I love it. Love it. Because it does seem like sometimes ministry. Yeah, I, I don't. Do you find it? I mean, you're 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 teaching pastors. You're you're a professor. You're you're part of the. I never know how to say. How do you say the Okonomia Network? How do you say that really? That's good enough. Oikonomia oh, Network, okay, uh, no, or, okay. or it, there, but you can pronounce it any way you want. <laughs> it's none of word. the none of the pronunciations that we use are the actual accurate Greek pronunciation. And I have one New Testament professor who always nags me about that. I, I'm really, uh, Greek is very rough. My, I do know how. I do like tzatziki sauce, and I like euros. That's the only. That's sorry. Okay. How is it that you prepare? to make sure that you're, the ministry that you're involved in there at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and the Okonomia, uh, Okonomia Network, how do you make sure that that, how do you keep it from interfering on an ongoing basis? Because there's a danger out there. Guys like to work a lot. Well, the starting point of that is uh, to see being a husband and father as ministry, which it is. Uh, we actually, in, in, our, uh, in the Oikonomia Network, which is separate from the Faith at Work Summit, but that's my primary mm-hmm. job is running it, uh, we have a library of videos, and one of the best ones in there is by Mark Roberts of Fuller Seminary, uh, who gave a 15-minute talk on how uh, uh, being a uh, husband and father or a wife and mother uh, is itself a vocation, and that when we talk about vocation, we have to not limit it to paid employment. Uh, but that, you know, your vocation in the home of taking care of the people in your home and raising your children up, uh, and also the vocation of helping others to do that. So it's not only parents who have a vocation to raise children, but yes. uh, those who don't have children uh, that are biologically their own uh, are uh, have many opportunities to help uh, children to, uh, to grow That's and, right. and develop. Yeah. So uh, that's a you know that's a centrally important part of our calling as human beings. It's part of the original creation design. 
uh, and God intends uh, mm-hmm. not only to subdue the world, but to fill it. FWSummit.org. Coming up in 2020. Jim, why are you talking about something two years in advance? Because everybody is a procrastinator. And I figure if I tell you in 2019, you'll be ready a year from now or a year and a half from now when it actually comes up in the fall of 2020. But they can put it on their business calendar and in their budget as well. That's and right. Because this is really an enriching and, and Greg, Experience. this wasn't an expensive thing. I mean, what no. did the, what did the average attendee have to spend to spend the several days attend the conference to spend several days in Chicago? Well, it depends on when you bought your ticket. If you were one of the wise people who bought uh, a ticket far in advance, we had a super early bird price um, that is uh, so far in advance that I now, um, long time later, can't remember exactly what the number was. <laughs> I think it, it was, was either seventy nine uh, or ninety nine because we talked it about was, it on the air. I believe it was 79, um, and so that was the super early bird price, uh, and then the hotel rooms were, I believe, a little bit more than $200 a night, which is a fantastic rate for being right at the airport. We were, right. uh, mm-hmm. uh, we were just cheek by jowl with uh, O'Hare Airport, so people flying in from out of town did not have to deal with a, a long commute. Literally, uh, so And then literally. meals were included, so, uh, you, you know, the... the um, uh, uh, we we fed we fed the troops. Uh, yes. Although uh, we had, by tradition, we have dinner on your own uh, on Friday night so that people can go network, uh, and that's a uh, that's a valuable time. But uh, people do go out uh, to restaurants uh, to do that. So that's uh, that gives you an idea of how. And the um, the summit is from Thursday night through Saturday midday. So that's two hotel nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, was, which is not much for the for what you're getting. No, and Correct. it really was literally. You didn't even have to go on the runway with the airplane. You just jump off. They were like a hundred feet above the, <laughs> the hotel. So it was very right. convenient. All right, talk to me about the Okonomiya Network. Okonomiya. Okay, I can't even do it. I, I try to give me the Greek. Okonomiya. How to say it? If you know, uh, our network serves uh, seminary professors, and so we gave it a gr- an obscure Greek name so that all these seminary professors who speak Greek will feel gratified that they can pronounce it. Okay, so uh, since it's for a seminary professor, it, just give the thirty second ends of three syllable or less words. Faith and work. It's faith and work for seminary education, so that future church leaders will uh, be equipped to understand this faith and work integration, uh, so that in future generations we don't have to do this hard work of rebuilding ties between faith, the faith and work world and the local church. Yeah, let's hope we can make this stick, because 500 years ago, that was the whole idea behind the Reformation. Yeah, we lost some yep. traction there. Okay. I yeah, was, yeah, we got a little bit off track. We got a little off track. All right, you wrote a book, Joy for the World, How Christianity Lost Its Cultural Influence and Can Begin Rebuilding It. Talked. I mean, I couldn't agree more with the title. I haven't gotten a chance to read the book, which is unusual. I don't usually bring up books that I haven't read yet, but I trust you. How awesome was the book, and what were you trying to? What are you trying to communicate? How did we lose its cultural, our cultural influence? Well, I appreciate your honesty. You know, I did a lot of interviews. I do a lot of interviews whenever I have a book come out, and uh, I'll, I can always tell when the host has read the the book or not, and uh, uh, doesn't always align with whether they say they read the book. But uh, so I appreciate that. And, you know, you asked me before whether you could ask me about my book, and I wanted to say as long as you repeat the title so that people remember the title, uh, you can ask me as many times as you want. The idea of the book is that um, the Church has disconnected the faith 
from the activities uh, of everyday life that create an encounter with the joy of God, uh, that the work of the Holy Spirit changes the way we live and changes the kind of people we are in such a way that our lives become uh, vessels of the joy of God, that uh, we can enjoy uh, uh, rejoicing in uh, the Lord and uh, experience the joy that He gives to us, even in times of suffering, even in times of adversity, because we're not always happy, and it's not always, you know, unicorns and rainbows, but there's a deeper uh, sense of joy in the Lord that can continue even in periods of struggle. You had daughters. Uh, but unfortunately, Did you have a, da- do you have a daughter, Greg? We... Do you have a daughter? Yes. Yeah, I could tell. You said unicorns and rainbows. Only guys who have daughters uh, say unicorns <laughs> and rainbows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my daughter is a figure skater, too, so I know much more about figure skating than males are allowed to know by the rules of American culture. <laughs> but um, well, let me just, uh, I, I, I want to just... When the church tries to influence culture, uh, we, we try to use shortcuts. Yeah. So sometimes the shortcut is politics. Sometimes the shortcut is I'm going to go to Hollywood and make Christian movies. Uh, but whatever it is, we, we, we want some sort of quick and easy fix for impacting culture, but uh, it doesn't work that way. Cultures are big and complex and dynamic, and they move slowly, and they change slowly. Uh, and so I, in the book, I talk about how we need to be patient. We need to accept uh, that there's no quick fix for uh, church influence on the culture, but that it can be done if we're willing to undertake the long, slow, and patient work of, right. of connecting the joy of God to the way our culture works. Well, and that's, you know, you talk about phenomenal summits, Faith Faith at Work Summit came up in Chicago in 2018, in the fall, but it's going to be again in 2020, somewhere in the United States of America. Check it out online, fwsummit.org. But between now and then, as Greg just highlighted in his book, Joy for the World, How Christianity Lost Its Cultural Influence and Can Begin Rebuilding It, you can always plan on attending the Culture Shapers Summit in Washington, D.C. this March, because that's the whole topic of this summit. Are you going, Greg? Are you going to the Culture Shapers Summit in Washington, D.C. at the end of March? No, I'm afraid I won't be there. Ah, but the, you wrote the book. Yes, <laughs> you, I mean, because it, it, this is something we talk about on the air a lot, because we talk about the early church and how the early church, everybody in, no matter what their professions were, whether it was slave or master, whether it was servant or king, they all learned to just live out their faith in the work, and it transformed the culture, the Roman Empire, turned it upside down. I mean, it, 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 to the point where Constantine said, everybody should become a Christ follower. In this country, we've forgotten about the fact that as Jesus followers, people should be benefiting from our faith, even if they're not believers, because of the dynamics of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Shouldn't people be benefiting from our relationship almost like a collateral effect on people? Yes, you know, one of the most famous writings from the early church was uh, something called the Letter to Diognetus, and the reason it's known by the recipient is uh, that we don't know the name of the Christian who wrote it. Uh, he wrote it anonymously, and he signed his name Disciple. He just signed Disciple at the bottom. Uh, but it, it has this magnificent passage about how Christians are in the world the way the soul is in the body, and the desires of the body will sometimes war against the soul and try to reject it, but the soul still loves the body and wants to care for it and tries to do everything it can uh, to do good for it. Uh, and he, he talks about how Christians uh, uh, accept the penalties of foreigners and the duties of citizens. Christians accept poverty for themselves while making others around them wealthy. Uh, that you know, Christians are sort of uh, paradoxically both citizens and foreigners wherever they go because they want to they want to accept the uh, role of a good citizen who contributes and makes the community better 
but that they are treated like foreigners because of the difference that their faith creates. Uh, and it's just, it's a magnificent expression of what you're talking about, how the early church set out uh, not to seize the levers of power and try to Christianize people by force, although that happened later, uh, but rather to uh, be a positive influence through the way they live and to do good that uh, had good, solid, positive effects on their communities. Mm. And that's what we're chasing after with the faith and work movement. I mean, the whole movement is about allowing our faith to infiltrate everywhere we go, that our lives are permeated with Christ so that it can't help but pour out on those we touch with love to everybody. Whether they are believers or not, they should be benefiting from the kingdom that's living within us. I mean, it's it's a powerful concept, but that's a lot of what you talked about at the Faith at Work Summit is that you're just encouraging people just to go to make that connection and to lock it in and, and, and go from there. So, Greg, as we've been highlighting the Faith at Work Summit, um, talk to our listeners, um, wherever walk of life they may be in, and, and encourage them with how they can today connect, make a better connection in their vocation? Well, the two things that I always emphasize when people ask for what's a, what's a capsule summary of, of faith and work, you know, putting your faith into your work, I would say one is that God uses your work to take good care of his world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, Martin Luther says that uh, people are masks of God to each other through their vocations, that uh, when, uh, when you pray, give me my daily bread to God, God does in fact provide your daily bread. How does he do it? Well, he calls the farmer to do the good work of raising crops, and he calls the baker, you know, and the miller. And, you know, today it would be the truck driver and the grocery store clerks and all the other people uh, involved, you know, and uh, pretty soon it'll be Amazon or something delivering it by drone. But uh, whatever it is, there'll be people doing their jobs to bring you your daily bread. Well, does that mean that God didn't bring you your daily bread? Well, no, of course not. God uses our work to serve uh, and take care of his world. It's such a powerful uh, there's a, truth. In a, in a sermon on marriage, one of his early sermons on marriage, uh, actually long before he had any idea of getting married himself, uh, Luther said that uh, the, uh, uh, the celibate priest will look down on someone who's unmarried and say, how can you possibly learn about God when you have to spend all your time changing dirty diapers. We're going to have to, you know, we're we, gonna have to have we, the we end have to... right there, Greg, because we're out of time. Greg Forrester with the Faith at Work Summit. Thank you so much for being on iWork for him. Everybody's going to have to look that quote up when they get home tonight. Greg Forrester, thanks for being on iWork for him. Thank you. FWSummit.org. FWSummit.org. You've been listening to the iWork for him radio program with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers, our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, iWork I work for, for him. him.